0: Blog Talk Radio
1: You are listening to The Four
2: Persons Show on Blog Talk Radio We are your
3: enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate For more information about what we do go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net To call in tonight with your comment or question dial 515-515-515 6029655. six zero two
1: ninety six fifty five. The number again is five one five six zero two nine six five five. Hello. Hello, my name is Ed Gravelin, and I am a person who lives in southern Arizona and I am an evangelist. And today we're going to talk about Tradition. Tradition is something that divides Protestants and Catholics a lot. And first thing we have to do is we have to discuss what is tradition. In this discussion, it's important to keep in mind that the Catholic Church means by tradition. The term does not refer legends or mythological accounts, nor does it encompass transitory customs or practices which may change as circumstances warrant, such as styles of priestly dress, particular forms of devotion to saints, or even liturgical rubrics. Sacred or apostolic tradition consists of the teaching of the apostles passed on orally through their preaching. This teaching targeted, largely, perhaps entirely, overlap with those contained in Scripture. But the mode of their transmission is different. When the Bible was put together, it wasn't put together, uh, not completely, until 382 A.D. So they had nothing but oral tradition for the New Testament in the first 380 years. Paul is illustrated what tradition is. He said... For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, whether it then it was or they, so we preach, and so you believed that's in first corinthians fifteen three eleven He also praised those who followed tradition. he said in first corinthians eleven two I commend you. Because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions that I have delivered them to you, as I have delivered them to you. The first Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. That's in Acts two forty two, long before there was a New Testament. From the very beginning, the fullness of Christian teaching was found in the church as the living embodiment of Christ, not in a book. The teaching church with its oral Apostolic tradition was authoritative. Paul himself gives a quotation from Jesus that was handed down orally to him. It is more blessed to receive, to give than to receive. That's in Acts twenty thirty five. Fundamentalists they say that Jesus condemned tradition. They note that Jesus said, And who do you transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? That's Matthew fifteen three. Paul warned. See to it that no one makes a prey to you by philosophy or empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the element, elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. But these verses merely condemn erroneous human traditions, not truths that were handed out orally and entrusted to the church by the apostles. These latter truths are part of what is known as apostolic tradition which is to be distinguished from human traditions or customs. Now consider Matthew 15, 6, 9, which fundamentalists and evangelicals often use to defend their position. So by these traditions of yours, you have made God's laws ineffectual. You hypocrites, it was a true prophecy that Isaiah made of you when he said, this people does me honor with its lips, but its heart is far from me. Their worship is in vain for the doctrines they teach are the commandments of men. Look closely at what Jesus said. He was not condemning all traditions. He condemned only those that made God's word void. In this case, it was a matter of the Pharisees feigning the dedication of their goods to the temple so they could avoid using them to support their aged parents. By doing this, They dodge the commandment to honor your father and your mother. That's from Exodus 20.12. Now, elsewhere, Jesus instructed his followers to abide by traditions that are not contrary to God's commandments. He said in Matthew 23.2-3, he said, "The The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach but do not practice. What fundamentalists and evangelicals often do, unfortunately, is see the word tradition in Matthew 3, Colossians 8, and elsewhere, and that anything termed a tradition is to be rejected. They forget that the term is used in different sense, as in 1 Corinthians 11, 2, and 2 Thessalonians 2, 15, to describe what is should be believed. Jesus did not condemn all con- traditions. He condemned only erroneous traditions, whether doctrines or practices that under that under undermined Christian truths. The rest, as the Apostles taught, were to be obeyed. Now, um, there's so many other things that that the, the apostles did and what they said in Scripture that they actually have things that they said that were not found in the Old Testament. Now, one of them is, um, he says, uh, the Old Testament does not name the magicians in Egypt who tried to discredit Moses, but Paul calls them Janus and Jambrus, 2 Timothy 3, eight, Jude, expects his readers to be aware that Michael the archangel disputed with Satan over the body of Moses in verse 9, and that Enoch prophesied Christ, verse 14, but these stories are found nowhere in Scripture, except in Jude. The writer of the book of Hebrews in 1137 talks about the Old Testament saints being sawn in half for their faith. But he didn't get this from the Old Testament. He got it from tradition. And it's not just New Testament references to the Old Testament that seem to go beyond the Bible. In Acts 20 35, Paul quotes Jesus as saying, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Yet Jesus is not recorded as having said this anywhere in the Gospels. It seems apparent that the New Testament writers were not afraid to reference extra biblical traditions. This does not, of course, raise extra-biblical traditions to the level of inspiration, but it does show that unwritten traditions can be infallibly affirmed. Now, there's so many other things that, like the Catholic Church, we have a tradition that Mary was assumed into heaven. Now, being assumed into heaven... uh, what happened at the the early days of Christianity is everybody wanted the relics of the martyrs. They wanted their bones. They wanted their hair. They wanted their clothing. They wanted everything they could get from them. And so when they died and when they decayed, they would go in and dig up their graves and get their bones because they were relics. And they, they honored them that way. When Mary died, there was no relics, none, no bones, no hair, no nothing. it was the only thing that was left was her veil, and that is cut kind of into little pieces and fell over the world today, but there was no uh bones found of Mary, zilch, nothing so that is what's unique about this is that the traditions. That we have of Mary being doomed into heaven, uh, all the early church believed it. The, the Middle Ages believed it. Uh, in the 1500s, they believed it. They believed it always and everywhere. And it was made finally because uh, when Pope, when the Pope made it uh, a dogmatic a belief, everyone believed it at the time. Everyone did so he made it a belief because again there was no no relics found of Mary at all there's there's a lot of different traditions that come up if you look at what what the Protestants say they say that um, they say that um, um, uh, they often use this to defend their physicians they say um they say that the the Bible is the sole rule of faith as well too. In the Bible, they use First Timothy 3:15 or something like that that says that uh, all scripture is um, uh, it says that all scripture is is perfect and it it helps you and it uh, it's good for you and helps you uh, have joy and all this other t- types of things. But it doesn't say that scripture is sufficient. In fact, in the first uh, 300 years before Christ, they didn't have scripture. They had the Old Testament only. And so when when uh, they, they talk about uh, the scripture, they're talking about the Old Testament, which was the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was uh, done by Greek-speaking Jews. And the Greek-speaking Jews that moved away, um, they asked Ptolemy to have scripture writers, Hebrew scripture writers, translated to Greek. So they sent all these guys back, and they 70 uh, scholars translated the scriptures to Greek, and when they matched them all up, they matched identically. So we know that that Septuagint was a, a really good... Uh, rendition of the Old Testament that's what the Catholics use as their Old Testament is the Septuagint and when you think about uh, when there was persecution going on and there was no printing press monks hand copied their scriptures the Old and the New Testament for a thousand years they hand copied them lots of times they were uh, persecuted for doing that. So they would hide the scriptures. And uh, the Dead Street Scrolls kind of show uh, those people who hid scriptures in the caves. And those books, uh, some of those books came the Deuteroconolic books, what uh, the Apostle- uh, Protestants called the Apocrypha. So there's so many different things that they have that uh, show that there was tradition that goes along with the church. It talks about there's priests in the New Testament. And uh, they call them presbyters in that. And when they call them presbyters, that's the same word for priests. And so there's so many different things. There's bishops, too, and, and it's not found in Scripture for the bishops in the New Testament. But John the Apostle, he went to Antioch. And when he went to Antioch, he found a guy named Ignatius of Antioch. Ignatius was a pagan. And he converted him to Christianity. He was very smart, Ignatius was. And he was the one who built all of his uh, faith on John's testimony. John, who got it from Jesus, he built all of his faith on that. So much so that Ignatius became a bishop over Antioch there were seven churches in antioch and uh, jesus i mean and, and antioch was over all seven of them well persecution was going on at the time when they captured antioch uh, ignatius they captured him and they took him to rome to be eaten by lions but before he left rome for rome he wrote seven letters one to each of his churches and to the smyrnians he wrote something that is amazing. He said, Where the bishop is, there is Jesus Christ, there is the Catholic Church. That was in 107 AD. John died at about 9500 AD, and he's the one who taught him all that stuff. He taught him everything. And so, that since John got it all from Jesus, Jesus got the word universal. He said, My church is going to be universal, which is the word Catholic so that's what's what's amazing about that there's so much more that goes on in the world for, for these things uh, I've been an evangelist for many many years i've helped many people uh, the Holy Spirit working through me has helped many people become Catholic and there's a whole bunch of different things that that we have that have helped people become Catholic um, one of them uh, that I that I did, um, I said that Okay, one guy sent me a thing that said ten reasons I'm not a Catholic, and so he said. Uh, first of all, he said um, Jesus. Um, hold on a second. Uh, let me find this. Ten reasons. Here we go. Okay, it's right here yes well um, one of my friends said to me one time he said uh, there's a whole big thing that says that um, the authority that comes in and the authority of the church in fact my pastor Father Greg says that he was a Lutheran minister before, but he said that there was no authority in the Lutheran Church, so he became a Catholic. But uh, Patrick Madrid is a friend of mine. He uh, told me this a long time ago. Uh, it's how some of the conversations went on the. Uh, I used to evangelize on the Las Vegas Strip, and uh, even here in Sierra Vista, Arizona. But. Um, um, uh, I asked a, a Protestant, and I said, how do you know the Holy Spirit guides you to the truth? And he said, uh, believe me, uh, so you believe that everything you read can under- be stood, understood fully and you know the interpretation is correct? And the Protestant guy said to me, yes, because the Holy Spirit guides me. I said, then can I ask you a question about this? And he said, sure. I said, if I were to ask you what a six-word sentence meant, could you let me know if you truly know what it means? And he said, yes. I said, here's the sentence. I said, I never said you stole money. And the guy said back to me, that's easy. It just means that you never said you stole money. I don't get it. I said, well, what if the person was saying saying it said, "I I never said you stole money. My brother said it. Or he said, I never said you stole money. I just thought it. Or I never said you stole money. I said your sister stole it. Or I never said you stole money. I said you embezzled money. Or I never said you stole money. I said you stole a car. So that's six-word sentence with five different meanings, and you believe you can interpret the entire Bible by yourself? That is why someone has to give us a meaning of scripture and why we have a church to do that for us. We've been doing that for 2000 years. So that's one of the things that I did. I also uh, had a thing where um, there's all all kinds of things that happen where you don't even understand what's going on there's a verse in scripture that says um i rejoice in my suffering for your sake to make us make up what is lacking in christ's affliction well what does that mean in christ's affliction what is lacking in it everyone said nothing's lacking in it but what paul was talking about was was that when you suffer, you can join your sufferings with Christ's sufferings and offer it for the church or for, offer it for your friends or for, offer it for neighbors, offer it for anything you want. That's one of the things that happens when you when you do that. You have a, a whole big way of, of, of suffering. Because when you suffer, in fact, one of the saints said that uh, suffering is a waste for most people because they don't know how to use it. Because we all suffer. Everyone suffers. But when you suffer, you have a way of using it because you join your sufferings with Jesus' sufferings because he died for everyone's sins and before time and after time. So he, his suffering is covering us now. And when you join your sufferings with his, then you can actually offer it for something for your kids that left the faith or whatever you want to do. It's wonderful to do that. So that's one of the things that, that really, really helped a lot of people. Um, there's also uh, things that um, uh, when I was on the strip in Las Vegas, um Uh, I received a phone call one day, I was teaching classes in uh, Catholic apologetics, and this lady said to me, um, hey, uh, a lady in my office said you could answer my question about the Catholic Church. I said, well, what church do you go to? She answered, I go to ICLV. And I said, where is that? And she said, you never heard of ICLV? It's the International Church of Las Vegas? I said, we have 3,000 members in our church. I said, no, I haven't heard of it. I said, uh, but our church has 1.2 billion people in it. <laughs> and so she said, uh, so what's your question? She said, so why do you Catholics believe Mary was without sin when the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23? I asked her, do you know the Bible? She said, yes. I grew up a Baptist. I said, good. I said, let me ask you. What was in the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament? She answered me. She said three things. The Ten Commandments, the manna from heaven, and the shepherd's staff from Aaron, the brother of Moses. I, re- I, said, I said, replied, I said, wow, you do know the Bible. Good for you. And I said, yes, you are correct that the Ark of the Covenant had those three things. The Ten Commandments, some scholars call it the Word of God since God did write it with his finger in the rock tablets. Would you agree to that? She said, yes. You can call it the Word of God. Then I I said, then the manna from heaven was also called the bread from heaven, right? She said, yes. And the shepherd's staff from Aaron, who was the high priest of the Levites, symbolized the high priesthood, right? Right, she said. So who is the Word of God, who is the bread from heaven, and who is the high priest? And she said, why, Jesus? And I said, yes. Jesus was indeed in the Ark of the Covenant because uh, he's the bread from heaven and the high priest. And I said, uh, now, because he was there before Abraham, we learned in John's gospel that all things were created through him and for him and by him. And we learn in Colossians 1.16. So now let's go to 2 Samuel 6, verse 7, 6, 1 to 7, where Uzzah was carrying the ark. And David was dancing up ahead as they brought the ark into Jerusalem. But the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah put his hand on, the, on to steady it. And what happened to Uzzah? He died. She said. I said correct. But why did he die? She said. I have to think about that. So I said he died because nothing unclean could touch the ark. Leviticus tells us, and that, and so Uzzah had sin on his soul and touched the ark and died. That sounds right, she said. I said, let's go 600 to 800 years forward, and a young girl named Mary, who is going to carry that same word of God, that same bread from heaven, that same high priest, Jesus, inside of her. How in the world could she have had sin on her soul? She would have died just as Duzza did. She said, I never thought of that. (laughs) So, anyway... um, Later on, she asked me, she called me, and she said, uh, what's this about purgatory? I said, why don't you come to my class? She went to my class, and uh, it was at Our Lady of Las Vegas. Yes, there's a parish called Our Lady of Las Vegas in Las Vegas. <laughs> and on Wednesdays, and she came to the classes, and she took copious notes. She was an African-American woman. She was an attorney who graduated from ten in the top 10% of class at Harvard Law School. She spoke five languages languages fluently and today she's a Catholic. She asked me to be a sponsor. Uh, She invited me to Washington, D.C. where she got a job there uh, at a big law firm and she called me and she said, hey, do you want to see Pope Benedict? He was coming in April. I went and I went to the papal mass and a friend came up to her and me and said, do you want to see, wake up early and see the Pope Benedict off to New York? I went, and uh, when we got on those big buses, we arrived at the Table Nuncio's house, where he was staying, and I decided to follow a young man to the gate in front of the house. He came out, put his hands on the head of a little boy in front of me, stretched out my hand to shake hands with him. He stopped, turned around, and shook my hand, all because of an evangelization effort. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. Well, I got to shake the hands with Pope Benedict. So there's so many stories that I have about that too. Um, If you think about it, there's one where I was uh, evangelizing on the Strip in Las Vegas, and um, there's there's a whole bunch of people that uh, actually came out and asked me some questions. They said we had a sign that said Catholic Truth on it. And the, the guys there, they said, um, uh, how can you have Catholic truth when there's no Catholic truth in Catholicism? And I said, oh, wait a minute. How do you know that? How do you know that uh, that there was no Catholic truth in Catholicism? And they said, well, because you guys believe all kinds of things that are not in the Bible. And I said, um, let me ask you a question. Do you understand that the Bible, do you believe that the Bible is the sole rule of faith? And they said, yes. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. What does the last sentence of John's gospel say? And they said, "Uh, well, I opened it up to my Bible and I looked at it and it said, if all the books in the world were put down for everything Jesus did, the books of the world cannot contain it. I said, that's the books of the world. I said, that's a lot of books. I said, the books of the world could not contain all the things that Jesus did. So how do you find what Jesus did that's not in the Bible? Because the Bible doesn't even have all of Jesus' words in the whole thing. It just has it in four Gospels. And yet, all the books of the world, that's a lot of stuff that Jesus did that's not in the Bible. So... I said, what you can do is you can go to the guys who actually were taught by the apostles. Guys who are taught by the apostles are actually in the Bible. And so uh, what happened was I said, when you go to the early church fathers, you'll find that they said the bishop of Rome is in charge of the church. They said that you baptize your infants. They said that you you have real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. They said you confess your sins to a priest. They said you anoint people with oil since they're sick. And all the things that we have. And they, they also talked about all these things in the early church, which was the first 300 years before Christ. And there was a, no Bible until 382, and that was Pope Damasus, who wrote the 27 books of the New Testament and said, this is the New Testament. And he wrote the um, 40 books of the Old Testament and put it into the Bible. And uh, that was when it came out. And that's what all the monks copied for a thousand years. So it's, it's amazing what happens with this. So um, um, I think we're ready to go to a commercial. And, uh, John,
0: can... Looking for a Catholic
3: counselor? Dr. Peter Klaponis, Deb Rojas, and the Tina Integrity Counseling Services provide faithful Catholic counseling in Pennsylvania and beyond. We offer telehealth and in-person counseling for porn addiction, betrayal trauma, anxiety, depression, marriage counseling, and much more. You can find us at IntegrityCounselingPA.com or 610-601-9781. That's IntegrityCounselingPA.com or 610-601-9781.
2: Looking for a Catholic counselor or coach? Dr. Fred Boley provides faithful Catholic counseling and coaching for men in Missouri and beyond. He conveniently offers telehealth services for anxiety, depression, marriage counseling, or just getting stuff done. You can find him at stbarn.org or 872-269-1280. Once again, the number is
0: 872-269-1280. She is a Catholic recording artist, multi-award winning songwriter. She sings contemporary and folk rock music, She has been in the music industry for over 5 years. Her music is her ministry. She aims to help people that suffer from all kinds of pain in life and try to bring them to the Lord through her music. She has 3 albums out and her music is being played on radio stations all over the world. Her website is lisamarienicole.com and she is on social media. Her music page is Facebook.com Lisa Songs of Worship. YouTube at Lisa M. Nicole. Instagram Lisa underscore Marie underscore Nicole underscore official. Her songs can be purchased on her website, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, and everywhere else. Her merchandise store has everything for her ministry and can be accessed through her website. Her new CD's will be available very soon and can be purchased through her website. She counts herself blessed that God has chosen her to help spread his message. She is Lisa Marie Nicole. Get her music today. The Four Persons Network asks our Catholic friends to check out and join the fast-growing Catholic website message board, and community at Catholicism Rocks. The quality and diversity of contributors is breathtaking and the content spans everything from education to news and commentary and spiritual insight. Partners of the four persons and our friends. Please check them out at CatholicismRocks.com.
1: We now return to the regular program on your only real Catholic defenders of the deeper truth of our sacred faith, the Four Persons.
2: And welcome back to the Four Persons Network. This is the Catholicism Rocks Show with Ed Gravelin, and I have Lewis on the line. Lewis, your comment or question for Ed.
3: I'm... Um. Good afternoon, Ed. Um, I'm Lewis. I'm a very uh, new Catholic apologist. Um, I remember, I really liked how you ended the whole subjecture debate with John's final words in his gospel. Uh, John twenty-one twenty-five. um he says it very clearly. If everything that Jesus did made it into writing, the world wouldn't be able to hold all the books that would have to be written. Yeah. Um, Protestants, their, their typical rebuttal is um, he mentioning everything he did like a um, miracle but even that mm-hmm. fails because there is not a single time where Jesus did a miracle that he didn't teach something attached to it Jesus w- would would never do a miracle without a lesson behind it so even that rebuttal falls apart would be even examine scripture that's exactly right um, yeah and again, um I had another try to rebuttal that uh, with second theologians. Um he tried to say he tried to tell that a few chapters ahead it says that everything that the apostles taught was already preached already. And I'm, and I gave him two answers that um no matter how you look at it, it still falls apart. His first um my first uh rebuttal to that was that um it never said they finished teaching because um after theologians there's still more books in scripture which was um, where the apostles taught new things. Even if, for example, they taught everything that they did want to know, that doesn't negate um, sacred tradition, because that that could also mean they taught them everything they knew um, verbally, too. Like, all the things verbally, that could make it into Scripture as well. Because if you closely examine the, the, the verse, it says that they passed down the traditions, but um, it never says only written tradition. It never specifies only written tradition, it just says tradition, and they've made it clear before traditions can be written and unwritten, too. Yep. So it it just falls apart. Um, Protestants, whenever they hear the words of God, they automatically assume that just means written tradition, Um, but the words of God, scripture also makes clear is, you know, verbally, too. So um, they're adding to what God is saying and subtracting at the same time.
1: Yes, that is very true. I mean, Jesus, I mean, when Moses went up on the rock and God spoke to him in a burning bush, he spoke <laughs> it to him. He spoke it to him and said, thou shalt not kill. And boom, then he put it on the tablets. And then uh, he also told them uh, some of the things that are about those sins. And uh, the same thing with Jesus when he did uh, the, uh, you know, the Beatitudes. He spoke, and he spoke not just those eight things, those eight Beatitudes. He spoke about each one of those things. And uh, all the things that Jesus did, he spoke and they wrote down. And if you look at John, John's gospel, John's gospel, you know, after Jesus, when he died, he was, Jesus on the cross gave his mother to John. And that day he took him into his own. And how do you think Mary told him all the things about Jesus? That gospel of John is really a
2: gospel from Mary. <laughs> if
1: you think about that.
2: Yep. So Our host today is Ed Gravlin of Catholicism Rocks. That's CatholicismRocks dot com. If you'd like to call in to be on the program, the number is five one five six zero two Nine six five five again five one five six zero two nine six five five Ed I want to circle back to what you just talked about because when and the Protestants do this a lot they do what's called proof texting they'll yes. take one isolated verse wrench it from its context and then build the doctrine around it yeah uh, but the problem is that they often get hoisted by their own petard so to speak. When when they do this, because when they when you you started off the show by talking about tradition and talking about the various different types of tradition, and you, you are absolutely right in saying that Protestants often paint with a broad brush, all all tradition bad, okay? Yes. Um, the problem is when they take the verse to support that, where Jesus was condemning tradition, the traditions of men. I usually pin them on that. I usually uh, uh, pin them on that and say, Can you remember exactly what it was that Jesus was condemning? What was the action that the Pharisees were doing that Jesus was, was condemning? And you rightly pointed out, they were de- declaring that any money that they would have given to support their parents in their old yes. age is Corban. it's dedicated to God. Therefore, so they were nullifying tradition, uh, they were nullifying the word of God for the sake of their tradition. So then exactly. I asked the prophet, do you understand what's being said here? And they say, absolutely. I said, do you really? I said, Jesus is saying that supporting your parents in their old age is part of the fourth commandment. Thou shalt honor thy father and mother. Yep. Jesus is saying it's part of that commandment. They say, well, okay, all right. So what Jesus is saying is that if a family member were to die, it is the responsibility of the rest of the family to support those parents in their old age. And they said, yeah, we we don't have any problem with that. Well, then how could Jesus from the cross look down at his mother and say, behold your son, and look at the apostle John and say, behold your mother. And from that point on, John took Mary into her home. If Jesus had younger brothers and sisters, Jesus himself (laughs) would be violating the fourth commandment from the cross by entrusting Mary into the hands of John. Because John was the youngest. And if I
3: can also add some things to that, um, both with um, traditions of man, even if Jesus did mean not to follow traditions of man, still wouldn't violate Catholic Catholic um, tradition because the traditions we get are not from men, but from Christ, passed down through the apostles, passed down through the fathers. They should not qualify much. as a tradition... They do not qualify as the traditions that Jesus was condemning at all. So that still falls apart, even if you can interpret it that way. Um, And again, we have all of church history affirming this, um, That you know, by um, the uh, the church fathers and how they taught scripture and how they taught things outside of scripture, we have that as blatant proof. Yeah. So Um, so what
2: do you think about the original point, though, Ed, about about Jesus could not have entrusted his mother into the care of John if he had younger brothers and sisters it would have been a violation of the fourth that
3: amendment that is 100% accurate and in addition to that it just gets more obvious if you actually look at Coin Greek the word cousin in Coin Greek the word cousin I be, the word cousin for sure and step siblings they didn't exist back then so the word brother and sister was just substituted for a lot of words you know and if you exactly. look at the church fathers' taught, they made it very clear. When, whenever they, they use the word, you know, um, brother or sister as a substitute, they don't really – they're not Jesus' biological siblings. They're his cousins.
1: Not only that, I call my, my brother-knights brothers. Yeah. I call my brothers knights and brothers. I also call uh, a lot of people brothers and sisters because uh, you know we have nuns. So I call
2: them sisters. Well, and Ed, so, the biggest problem they have is that Paul said that Jesus appeared to five hundred brothers. So <laughs> that's a big family if you take it literally. That's that's going to be a problem.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. Ed,
2: I want you to take a few minutes. Uh, and talk about, for those who may have not have caught the first show, talk about Catholicism Rocks, what you guys do, where people can find it, and uh, and, and tell people about it that may not have heard the first, oh, yes. first time around.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Catholicism Rocks is a site that I found first on Facebook. And those people that are on it, uh, it's, it's out of Ireland and out of California. And those two places are places where it has. They found each other actually. Uh, Kathy and Sean found each other on Facebook, and they decided to build this site in 2021. And so they built it, and wow, uh, it started to blossom and grow very, very quickly. And they uh, they have so much on there. They got uh, they have they have um, um, what do you call it um, uh, spiritual help they've got uh, a blog they've got a priest who's on here they write some wonderful things they've got things where you can uh, volunteer to write for them if you want um, uh, when you talk about the people uh, it, it's, it's, it basically says that the world is against us the world is against the faith. Many of our priests are failing us. You know, we got Father James Martin goes around and says homosexual is okay. Our job is to become saints and to help one another and our children become saints as they're called to be. Most everyone has abandoned the faith or simply goes to mass because it's something they have always done. We want better for the church and for our children. It's difficult though when you are isolated. That's why we created this website, to help conservative Catholics network and connect. That's what they do. So the knowledge we have, we want to share it. We want to inspire others and connect with like-minded people. We want others to impart their knowledge and inspire others. We want this website of CatholicismRocks.com to have a family feel. It's a place where we feel comfortable giving our opinions and not worrying about offending each other. Um, Sean Murray, and uh, he's one of the directors. Kathleen Tuchel is a director, and Christina McAuliffe is a director, uh, Bill Snyder, Father Ashley is a director, I'm a director, a guy named uh, William Hemsworth is a director. William Hemsworth has a, a website and a podcast and He's a former Baptist seminarian
2: who became Catholic. <laughs> so All as right. it as it uh, as it so happens, William Hemsworth is also a member of the Four Persons. His show was uh, yesterday uh, yesterday at noon Eastern Time. I heard so it. So <laughs> he he's part of our uh, of our rotation, and uh, we're putting together quite a rotation. In fact, me and me and Lewis are going to be on tomorrow on the Four Persons. Monday show. Okay. On Tuesday, it is uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Uh, Deborah Rojas on the. Okay. It's it's now going to be called the Tangled Knot. It was called the Tangled Mess, but we're renaming it to the Tangled Knot. Uh, <laughs> and and it's uh, we basically uh, through the assistance through the help of our Blessed Mother Mary, Undoer of Knots. Uh, we yeah we. Seek to untangle the knots in our own lives. She's a professional counselor, ca- Catholic therapist. On Wednesday, um, me and Lewis will be back again for the Four Persons Wednesday show. Wonderful. Thursday, Thursday the Uncounseling show with uh, Dr. Fred Boley. Okay. Friday is the uh, Luke Haskell show, apologist Luke Haskell. Yes. Saturday at noon Eastern, it's the William Hemsworth Burnt Toast and Coffee Show. <laughs> Saturday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, it is Terry Delp and Taking It to the Street. 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, it is the Catholicism Rocks Show. Lewis, we're putting together quite a power pack lineup, aren't we?
3: I fully agree, Absolutely. and we're doing all thanks to the blessing of Christ through his church, the intercession of Mary. We're very happy.
1: Yeah, uh, i got to tell you a little story about one time I was uh, uh, in college. I got a basketball to Northern Arizona University. I had a big miracle in my life, and someday I'll tell my about my miracle, but it changed me. And when I changed, I went, uh, got invited by a Baptist to a Bible study. So I went to the Bible study uh, on campus at Northern Arizona University. And uh, we went about three months. And the guy was from a group called the Navigators. And the Navigators are um, they're a Protestant group, and they go out, they're adults, they come on campuses, and they teach the Bible. Well, this guy says to me, he said, Ed, you're a Catholic. You don't really believe that that's Jesus's body and blood when you have his host at communion, because if you did, you'd be a cannibal. And I didn't know. You know, I was just brand new, learning my faith. So I called my dad that night, and my dad studied to be a Jesuit for 12 years. And I said, Dad, this guy said we'd be a cannibal if we had the host of communion. And he said, is, Does he believe that Jesus is human or divine? And I said, Divine. He said, That's what we have. We have divine. He said, I read John's Gospel chapter six. And I said, Well, Dad, what's in John's Gospel chapter six? And he said, Just read it. <laughs> so I said, Okay. So I read John's Gospel chapter six about five times. And what stood out to me was John six verse sixty six. John six 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 says, and then they went back to their former way of life and walked with him no more. To the class the next Monday morning, and I said, Hey, last week you said that we would be cannibals if we have Jesus' body and blood at the communion, uh, but we have His divine flesh and His divine blood because it's spiritual. For us and uh, so that's Why we have it's not symbolic It's not symbolic So
2: So I would add I would add a couple of things To that and uh, and then after I uh, after I chime in this I'll go To Lewis for his thoughts First thing is uh, One of my go-to verses on this is First Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 29 Where Paul Says that it is that when we eat the bread and drink the cup, it is a participation in the body and blood of our Lord. And that he who eats the bread and drinks the cup without discerning the body. Now, discern means to recognize. When you discern yes. something, you recognize it. He who eats the bread and drinks the cup without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment unto himself. I don't know how you could get any more clear than that. That's just about as black and white as you can get. How can you
1: how can you get a judgment against yourself on a on a symbol?
2: You can't. (laughs) Now the second thing is this idea that we're cannibals. There's two reasons why that's not true. All right. The first is a cannibal eats the flesh of a dead person. Jesus is not dead. We are receiving the living Jesus inside of us, body, blood, soul, and divinity. The second part of that is that unlike everything else that we consume, unlike every other type of food that we consume, every other type of food that we consume, we consume it and it becomes incorporated into us. Right? Yes. When we receive the Eucharist, we become incorporated into Jesus Christ.
1: And I'm, going to you,
2: and I'm going to give you some scientific proof of that that's going to absolutely blow you away. Lewis, yeah. answer me this. In every Eucharistic miracle that there has ever been, including the blood taken from the Shroud of Turin, the blood type has always been the same. In every single one, the blood Maybe type positive. has been the same. AB positive. Yep. Can you tell me what that means, Lewis?
3: And it's literal blood.
2: <laughs> it's it's not only literal blood, it goes much deeper than that, okay? AB positive. It's, it's real. Yeah, let me let me let me get this out. AB positive is present in only about 4% of people. Okay? It's a very rare blood type. But the thing about AB positive blood that makes it unique Is that it is the only Universal Receiver In other words a person who has AB positive blood Can receive Blood of any other type If he were to receive a transfusion He can receive Any other blood type That is only true of AB positive blood It is not true of any other blood type So Jesus Can literally receive the blood of any other human being, no matter what his blood type is, he is the universal receiver. So yep. he receives us, not the other way around. And uh, I'll, I'll get your comments and then Ed's comments.
1: That is just amazing. And also when the flesh, when Jesus is, when the host turned into real flesh, it was always the same type of flesh. The left ventricle of the heart that was traumatized, that had white cells on it, meaning that it was still alive. And that happened with Pope Francis when he was a bishop in Argentina. It happened uh, 150 times. Uh, Carlo Okutis, a young man who died at age 15, put 150 Eucharistic miracles on a website that shows you all over the world where it was always the same left ventricle of a heart that was traumatized, that was still
3: alive. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so addition that, um, I want to add another Bible verse that kind of makes it obvious. Um, when Jesus spoke about the Eucharist, the Jews, or the apostles, one of the two, they were very um, shocked. Uh, "You want us to eat your body and drink your blood?" Down? Their response kind of gave it away. he was being literal. Because yes. it was a metaphor, if it was a metaphor, they would not have reacted the way they did. Exactly. A metaphor, you know, it's it's, it's not something to be taken, you know, well, obviously, literally. No. So they wouldn't have reacted that way. Lewis, the way that They trogon. reacted shocked, surprised. The, you the wanted Greek to be a literal person was, the, was their, the, their reaction. Yep. And if you the look Greek at church word, history. The Greek word trogon
2: is used. Did you know that? That means to chew. It's a very (laughs) graphic word. It means to chew or gnaw between the teeth. It's a very graphic term. There's a lady...
1: Uh, I remember
3: learning that from my my, my study with Catholic answers, and yes, that just gives it away. And in addition, all Christians prior to the Reformation understood that it was not a metaphor. It was something to be taken. Literal Catholics, Orthodox Church of the East. One moment, with.
1: And not only that, there's a lady named Lizzie Answers on YouTube. She had about 50,000 followers, and she was doing shows about God, Jesus, dating, and all kinds of things. And then she went to Pepperdine University, which is a Protestant university in California, and two of her professors in theology became Catholic. And when they became Catholic, she wanted to find out about that because she had gone on missionary trips to Asia and to Japan and to England and all that with her parents. Her parents were missionaries for the Church Church of Christ that they'd gone to. And so David when Dissan, she be- it- yeah, when she became Catholic, she went from sixty thousand followers to two hundred and twenty thousand followers. <laughs> and she has a whole bunch of videos about the Eucharist that really you know, tell the truth and she's gotten a lot of converts with
2: her show so that's that's wonderful about little Lizzie, little busy answers <laughs> so we got just a couple more minutes left I'm gonna kinda I want to kind of get just give, give me a second Louis I got a couple of uh, uh, things I'll, that I want to talk about what our subject of tomorrow's show is going to be and I wanted to get your thoughts on it Ed and then we'll go back to Louis sure so I haven't added this into the show description or anything, but it's something Egypt. that needs to be dealt with. And that is going to be attacks on Catholics by other so-called Catholics. <laughs> In other words, by Catholics who don't live up to the faith, attacking Catholics who do. That's going to be the subject of tomorrow's show. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. kind of yeah, And, and then we'll do. go back to Lewis.
1: Oh that is perfect for today because there's
2: so many
1: Catholics that have not a clue about the faith. We have politicians who push abortion, who push transgenderism, who push all kinds of things against God's laws. We have Catholics in back east, there's a whole bunch of Catholics that vote for pro-abortion politicians all the time because they put their their politics before their faith. And that is wrong to do that. You have to put your faith first. You've got to put God first in every area of your life first. Otherwise, you'll be like what he said, uh, uh, honor the Lord by God with your whole heart, mind, and strength. You don't do that when you put other things in front of him. And that's what so many Catholics do today.
2: Lewis?
3: One, one moment, please, um... Yeah, um as can five, most of them are lukewarm. So yeah, um I remember a go. He yep.
1: That's so uh, true.
3: Um if I could also say this. I remember a very dishonest um Protestant trying to make a video about that. I believe his name is um Mike something, um uh, Mike Winger. He tried to say he tried to say that um Catholics believe in something different than Catholicism, but what he doesn't say is that those are lukewarm Catholics. He tried to compare it to how Protestants have different yeah. sex and those are two very that's a very apples to oranges comparison.
2: I think what you guys because, brought up I, I think what you guys brought up is very true, Louis. Yeah. It's yes. very true. But but there's It's two very sides apples to
3: oranges one. just because um the, the Catholic Church teaches one set of doctrines. We teach the same thing universally. Yep. Protestantism does not do this. It, it's different for every religion. Right. So, and even inside their own religion, there are people, there are lukewarm things. So that is just not an, a, an apples-to-apples comparison. Yep.
2: The other side of the argument is um, there's there's the Catholics – The liberal Catholics who refuse to uh, assent to the church's authority on basic issues like abortion, euthanasia, uh, uh, homosexual marriage, things like that. This is what you guys brought up. But there's also another subset of dissident Catholics, and those are the ones who uh, refuse to uh, uh, assent to the authority of the pope, refuse to assent to the authority of the bishops, and those who – fly around following every false private revelation that comes along. In other words, those that follow the, the, the Maria divine mercies of the world, you know, false apparitions, uh, false uh, uh, private revelations like that, uh, condemned uh, apparitions like uh, Garabandal, um, for example. So uh, there's and, – and, and, and some of these Catholics who are not obedient to the faith – are the most virulent at attacking uh, the Catholics who are obedient to the faith. And this is what we're going to deal with in our show uh, tomorrow. Ed, Sounds why don't great. you, why don't you lead us in a, um, a closing prayer and, uh, and then, and then we'll uh, catch you again next week.
1: In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Father God, we thank you for this time together today. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to watch over us, guide us, bless us, fill us with your grace, your love, your wisdom, your peace, your joy, your health. And, Lord, we thank you for everything in our lives, everything that you've given us, everything that you are to us. We thank you
2: and praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful week. We will be back at 7 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. For the uh, Four Persons podcast Thank you and God bless God bless you guys